All right. We're hot. Yes. Toyota's yes, hot, hot, hot. <laughs> Remember them commercials? I don't know if I got that one up there. No, I, I, it was a radio commercial. I don't, there was oh, really, it wasn't really it a uh, TV commercial. It was more of a radio commercial, but... Yeah, remember I don't... when the radio had commercials for wow. like products well, and they, things? They do sometimes, but it's it's usually local. It's really weird when you hear them because you're like, "What am I listening to?" Sometimes they'll have like commercials for like television shows on local, like local cable or whatnot, yeah, yeah. local cable affiliates, and and it sounds very weird, very weird because you're just yeah. not used to it anymore. No. Um, but what we are used to is podcasting now, and this is yeah. the podcast of Cinema Discovery Project with myself, Andrew Cabral, and my co-host, Stephen Billings. Hey, hi. And we are back here two weeks after our last episode, which was a spotlight on The King of Comedy, a Martin Scorsese film. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about Martin Scorsese most definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but be, but and we're also going to be talking about Joker because we promised we would give a kind of um, review or a discussion about that movie because we had not seen it yet. Yeah. During our last episode, we talked about it heavily, so now we're kind of getting a before and after effect on that movie. But before we get into all of those things. There is one, you know, we don't like to really get into this anymore. We used to do it a well, lot. It was yeah, a running joke it, between it Stephen like, and I. It seemed like, like maybe earlier this year, a lot of people were uh, dying yes. on us. And uh, it seemed yes. like we were doing it yes. too much, I felt like. So I kind of told it Andrew, I was like, like look, week. can we just back off a little bit on the death at the beginning of every show? Um, but this one seemed, you know, to be, we, we can't go without mentioning this person. So Right. Um, we have, um, and just the other day, I was, what was it, a couple, was it Monday? Did it happen? Um, when did it... it happened October 11th, okay, yeah. which was sometime last week. Because today is the 15th, so four days ago. So last week, and it was the death of Robert Forster, yes. who we had recently mes- mentioned when we did our Quentin Tarantino episode yeah. and how his career uh, was revived because of him being in Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown. And that ki- that's kind of that's where, I was where a lot of people I... know him from. Yeah, that's where yeah. I was introduced to him from, yeah. Same thing here because he he's he was never a leading man. He was always kind of a character actor, and he wasn't really you know a headliner in any big films or anything like that. And Quentin Tarantino was is kind of known for bringing these actors out of obscurity or bringing yeah. kind of his his favorite actors out of obscurity. The same thing with Pam Grier and Jackie Brown as well. He remembered her from the black the black exploitation films that he watched in the seventies, and he you know, brought her career back as well. So Robert Forster, though, has been a really consistent career working actor throughout all of his career. Yeah. He has a total of 186 credits on IMDb, and they range widely. He didn't care as long as he worked. That yeah. seems to be the gist for me, where he worked in television, he worked in movies, he worked in TV movies. He really didn't care. Um, a lot of people probably remember him for Jackie Brown, but he was also in uh, The Descendants, the Alexander Payne film. Um, He was also in Mulholland Drive. He was also in, most recently, a lot of people are going to remember him for being in Breaking Bad, the television series. He was in a couple of episodes towards the end of Breaking Bad. Um, I don't want to spoil Breaking Bad for anybody who hasn't seen it, but he also reprised his role in the Breaking Bad movie that just dropped on Netflix very recently called El Camino. El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, and he reprises his role in that, and he's great in it, and that's probably one of his 
last roles he's ever going to have. There's one um, credit here that says, quote-unquote, filming Amazing Stories, and where he has a role in it, and I don't know if he completed work on that or however long he, you know, if he ever got to be in it at all. Yeah. Um, but for all intents and purposes, right now, El Camino may be his last thing. And he was also in the television series Last Man Standing recently. He was in the Twin Peaks revival. Yeah, uh, he from, was. Uh, from doesn't two he years play ago. Tim Allen's dad in, in Last Man Standing? I think he did. Yeah. Yes. I wonder if they're going to address that in that series at all. Because I know that series is still Yeah, it's still running. On. It's still running. Yeah. Well, it, well, it was. That series went on and then got canceled and then got revived on another on another network. Yeah. I think it I think it moved from ABC to Fox or something like that. Sounds about right. But yeah, Robert Forster was also in oh man, a lot of movies that people probably aren't like aware of. Things like I don't know, like um uh, American Yakuza and things like South Beach and 29th Street. I remember I saw him in a movie called Avalanche. Where he stars uh, alongside Rock Hudson and Mia Farrow, I believe. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I know of this movie is because um, Mystery Science Theater three thousand, the revival um, from recent times, uh, they watched that as one of their episodes. Hmm. And he was in it as a as a um, he was like a nature photographer that that was trying to like warn people that there was going to be like a there was a heavy chance of an avalanche. That's gonna that's gonna come, and of course it does. It's a disaster movie from the seventies. Yeah. Essentially, what it is, you know, all those disaster movies from back then, like the Towering Inferno and the Poseidon Adventure, all of those things. Um, that was kind of one of it. Tried to play off of that of that craze at the time. It's not a great movie, as you can <laughs> see. It's kind of a B movie. It's it's interesting. It's kind of a B movie with an A cast because yeah. Rock Hudson, big name, Mia Farrow, big name, Robert Forster, not so much. Though he was in another movie called Alligator, which is kind of like a B movie monster movie. But yeah, yeah I mean, he I, had, I haven't, an eclectic I haven't... career. An eclectic career, but you have to like seek out his stuff. Yeah, I was gonna say I haven't seen his a stuff lot is of his. Not... I haven't seen a lot of his stuff, but um. You know, when he when I did see him, he was always, you know, he always has kind of like a stoicness to him. Um, but also like a, a, co a collectiveness, like a cool collectiveness to him, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, it's one of them things. He has a vibe, you know, um, right. that that, is, you know, a charisma that is there that um, only certain people have, man. I mean, and, yeah, his his performances from what I've seen were very smooth. Yeah, he was always a very smooth customer on screen. If that's a phrase people use, still use nowadays. <laughs> but from from the outpouring of um, love that he got from the Hollywood community, apparently he was a really really nice person to to work with. A lot of the people that he had worked with in the past, or a lot of people that had met him, had glowing things to say about him. Yeah. So that was very nice. But it was also very sad because he, man, I would have liked to have seen him be in more and yeah. more things. You know, you never want to see somebody's career. You know, and, and he died at uh, 78. 78 may sound like an old number, but in modern context, yeah, no, not, not so not much. Not really. It's, and, you know, and it was, I think it was brain cancer that I saw. Is that what it was? I, I didn't, I didn't find out the reason. Yeah, but, I, I'm pretty sure it was brain cancer. So it's one of them uh, things. It's like, you know, it's, it's nothing you can do, man. I mean, it's. Yeah, it just happens to go that way sometimes. Um, but moving on from Robert Forster. You want to talk about the Joker? Yeah, let's let's get into this dark, uh, another <laughs> this very dark movie. Um, yeah, we're going from death to 
like pitch black bleakness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're well, going from yeah. dark to potentially darker. Yeah, do, Actually, do, nothing's do, really darker than yeah, death. Yeah, do we but... want to get into spoilers or do you want to... I'm just going to ask you that. Do you want to talk about spoilers or no? I would say start off talking a little bit, be more vague, give our opinions, and then maybe we'll get into a little bit of spoilers. Um, we'll say before we start talking about it. Um, but um, I don't, I don't want to get into some heavy discussion. I think this is something that's going to be talked about for a while. I don't want to... I, yeah. I would like to see the movie maybe a couple more times before I get into a heavy discussion about yeah, the, the movie, movie. come out yeah it came out only a week ago and a couple of days so we are you know not too far removed from it and the discussions still continue onward yeah. and onward it's definitely a movie i think you want to see more than once if you if you liked it or if you are unsure about it if you flat out hated it i i i wouldn't say don't don't see it again don't waste your time because if you flat out hated it chances are you may not like it ever yeah. You know what I mean? It's that kind of divisive of a movie. And the divisiveness of it when it comes to kind of, you know, the discussion is something we hinted at before. There was a lot of pre-talk about this movie of, you know, it's going to incite violence. It's going to uh, have people with mental illnesses latch onto this character and make him a, make him their hero. So they're going to do, you know, bad things or things like that. It was all kind of a hype. A negative hype around it in that regard um so far nothing like that has happened that i've heard of yeah that i've heard of i mean i've heard some things here and there where you know the precautionary things where they had to evacuate some theaters because they thought someone might do something or there was one story i heard where someone walked into the theater walked up to the front and kind of like surveyed the theater like looked like he was like surveying the area so people freaked out and the place was evacuated, the police were called, and, yeah. and lo and behold, it ended up being nothing. You know what I mean? There were things like that. Uh, and there's also things where they had um, undercover police officers or undercover FBI agents or something like that were, were hiding out, kind of like scoping out and like, you know, to make sure nothing happened. Yeah. So things were heightened security wise yeah. and heightened anxiety wise going well, into this movie. Well, we, I can tell you, no matter what the scrutiny was, it did not stop the people from going to go see it because the no, box office not. was good on this movie. Yeah, the box office was very good. It was opening what, 90, weekend, 95 million on this open weekend? Yeah, 95, 96 million opening weekend. Second weekend, it was like 55. So it wasn't even, a, wasn't even a 50% drop. It wasn't even like that big of a drop off. So this, and I think worldwide. Right now, this movie's sitting at, I want to say 500 and something million. Ooh. It's sitting at like half a billion right now because it's playing very well. And it's it goes to show you that the R rating is not deterring people. It goes yeah. to show you that the negative, um, you know, ang anxiousness around it is not well, is If not anything, If anything, people. that stuff helped it. <laughs> it maybe did help. But yeah, right now it's sitting at $556 million. It's crazy. It's like it's check crazy. it, boxofficemojo.com. And that's only two weeks. That's only the two weeks that it's been in theaters. You think it's going to break a billion? I don't know. Not even two weeks yet. It's been two weekends. Do you think it's going to break a billion? Um, That's tough. I think it'll hit like Deadpool numbers, which was what's like seven. I'm, think, I'm thinking seven, 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 eight. seven fifty to eight hundred million, maybe. Yeah, that's like Deadpool numbers. Yeah. Um, It'll probably hit. I mean, Suicide Squad did like 700 and something worldwide. Yeah. And that wasn't even, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that the movie, fe oh, well, didn't feature, but it was going to potentially have the Joker in it. Yeah. And he was only in the movie for 
12 minutes. Well, the one, the one thing that does help the movie, though, is that this time of the year, there's not a lot of competition. No. Uh, in October right now, you're getting a lot of... Um, I mean, we just... It Chapter 2 came out a month ago, so that's not really affecting it. Um, Adam's Family, which came out this week, that's a kid's movie, different audience. Uh, Gemini Man, not a lot of marketing. I mean, Will Smith Malif- is a big name. Maleficent's not, coming out, but... Maleficent's coming out. That's a different crowd. Again, different audience. That's, different yeah, audience. Yeah. That's a, you know what I mean? Not to, not to say that the same people who see Maleficent won't have also seen Joker, but we're saying, like, in terms of the bulk of the people who are seeing that movie and Joker are completely different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Disney versus, you know, a rated R like hard R comic book movie are completely different audiences for the most part. Um, but all of those fears kind of didn't lead to much. It led to a lot of more discourse on the internet, but it also like it also after seeing the movie, that fear and that anxiousness and just that, that type of feeling was really not warranted for the type of movie we saw. Yeah, I feel I, I feel like there was a little... I feel like that, Steven? I th- yeah, I feel like that there were certain journalists that really... Um, I don't know that if it was intentional or not, but some of them really uh, overdid it on trying to uh, almost deter people from seeing this movie. Like, it was... Yeah, I mean... Let me put it to you this way. When it comes to violence... or When it comes to just violence, in terms of like, oh my goodness, it's too... It's too the violence is too much... It's not as it's not bad nearly as, as I've violent as some other movies I've seen. No, not even close. And so I don't know where people were getting like, 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 oh, it's too, it's too obscene in that regard because it's really not. And honestly, that all depends on like what your tolerance is for violence. The, the, the you know, the, there is blood. There's gruesome murder. You know what I mean? Where it comes to like, you know, murder in itself isn't a clean act. Sure, <laughs> you know but, I mean? but but dude. And, like, like you were just saying, Deadpool. Deadpool shoots the, kills the shit out of people in the movies. Dead, well, I'll say this: Deadpool is more violent from an aesthetic standpoint than Joker is. I mean, there at one point, I mean, for those of you who haven't seen Deadpool, I guess spoilers. Like he cuts somebody in half. Yeah, shish kebabs. Well, dude, that like, that holds him up, holds him up, and just cuts him in half. That mixed there's, with there's mixed with the foul like shots. that mixed with the foul language and and you know sexual humor. Oh yeah, is way more yeah. is way more rated R of a movie than Joker. It's I think, way was. more graphic than yeah. Joker is. Where the Joker is dark and disturbing and um you know very bleak is that. It's it, is that that's the vibe and the tone throughout the entire movie, sure. and I feel like it just gets progressively darker I, as you go along uh, with the story, following yeah. Arthur um, Arthur, Arthur Fleck. Fleck. Yeah. Arthur Fleck, it, p- portrayed by Joaquin Phoenix, it just gets darker and darker as you see his mind degrade, of you course, see of his course the, situation degrade to go down and down and down. And of course, the movie and, has a more yeah. relatable story; it's more realistic. So yeah, that, it's a social commentary, yeah. but it hits really close to home when it comes to reality. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's not—it's definitely not the same type of movie as Deadpool in the sense of you know being able to relate to reality. But um, it's definitely—I mean, I, dude, I've seen so many. I mean, the movie I saw, The Devil, is is one of the most gruesome movies oh, yeah. I've, ever, I've ever seen. And, I uh, mean, we watched Old Boy. Old, old Boy, Boys God, Old is, Boy, yeah, is, which we did a spotlight on is more graphic than this. Yeah, where jo- the thing with the Joker is is that it's a it's an iconic character. It's based around so the, an iconic it's character. It's widespread. Yeah, 
And I'll say this, although this is going to be considered a quote-unquote comic book movie, it's really unlike any other it, comic it really, book movie it really, I've ever it, seen. It really sits there with The Dark Knight as a movie, a comic book movie that can stand its, on its own as just a great movie. You know? Yeah, I would even say it does it go it pushes the boundary of what a comic book movie is oh, yeah. past the Dark Knight, past Logan, past anything anyone's ever done. And it's really just using the comic book character of Joker to create a very dark drama, yeah. psychological drama about uh, uh it's about mental illness to a certain extent, but it's also about um, social commentary on classism and income inequality and the degradation of society because of certain circumstances and certain reasons. It's so much more than saying, oh, this movie just shows people with mental illnesses are, are violent. You yeah. know what I mean, that's way too simple no, of a no. statement of this movie that there's so much more nuance it's, than it's, that. There's so much more context yeah. than that. And there's also, and also the movie's talking about, you know, not only about that that broad the broad strokes, but also the small strokes of not just mental illness, but how we treat people in general. You know, like you don't right. know what small act could really put somebody over the edge. I mean, and that's maybe one of the things that's really uh, worrying Rubbing people, worrying yeah. people about people seeing this movie is that. But the thing is, is it's not in a negative way. It's it, you should take positive that it's being conscious of that that thing. You know. Yeah, I don't think the movie, the way people are reading this, like I was just saying, where they're they're making certain they're conjectures not... based off of the way this movie's portraying mental illness. I I I don't think the movie's intentionally trying they're to not, do that. They're not things. fetishizing that that aspect of the movie. Like it's oh, this right. is cool. Joker's so cool. You know, like it's like no, it's it's it, you should be taking a lesson from this. Yeah, there know? was this whole idea like this movie's like um is going to be look like incel revenge uh, an incel revenge movie incels for those of you who don't know are i think as a group of just kind of hateful people on the internet who are in call you know they're called incels because they're involuntarily celibate so they kind of yeah yeah i heard about the, that they yeah. hate the world they hate people they hate women they hate you know there's a lot of hate in there and the, in the, in this movie people were concerned that the joker would be a hero for them but to me, watching this movie, it's a more of a warning and kind of a, um, um, not a, yeah, I would say a warning, but like almost like a critique of them, like saying like, this is not right. There's nothing about the Joker in this movie where I'm like, oh yeah, what a great person. What a, you know, what a good guy. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? Yeah, like, there's ne oh, there's he's never, someone to look up there, to. There's never a point you know where I, mean? I, I necessarily like him there. Now, of course, no. There is, I would say that they do want you to somewhat empathize with him. You know, they want you to understand him um, to an extent. I would say understand him versus like sympathize or or even empathize because I can't really, I can't I, really I think, feel I, what he's I, feeling. Well, the thing is, is you can't feel what he's feeling, but I think I think there there obviously becomes a point in the movie where he crosses like the line. Good. Yeah, there's a, there comes a point in the movie where that kind of goes. It goes away. away. Yeah, I mean, but I think the, yeah, I, I mean, think like, through the first maybe thirty to forty five minutes of the movie, you see who you see and you you empathize with him. But then when he he chooses to make a choice, 
to do yeah. something that's bad, then you, you yeah, it leaves, when, you know. When you get um That's when it starts film, that's when it starts to turn into a cautionary tale. Yeah, I'll say the first act you're kind of on the news with that, but as the film goes along and as certain things were are revealed about his character and his tendencies, you you know pretty much right from the beginning, but it's even more revealed as the film goes on that there's something wrong with him and you get certain reasons why he is the way he is, why his situation is the way it is. And it's a really it's a really good movie in terms of, I think, storytelling and like holding things to the to the chest and giving a slow reveal as opposed to just kind of like spoon feeding everything to us. Not expo- really exposition dumps us, and stuff. Yeah, and, there's no real exhibition dumps. And I'll say this, this film is extremely narrow in its focus. Yeah. It's really only um, focusing on Arthur Fleck and him and just a character. Dude, I mean, him. Joaquin Phoenix is basically in every scene. I mean, it's... Joaquin Phoenix is... Yeah, he is in every scene, I want to say. I would assume he's he in is, almost every shot. <laughs> yeah, and he is unbelievably mesmerizing in this yes. movie. His acting is something that I've hardly ever seen before. It's it's beyond acting a character. He becomes this character. Every single movement he makes, every single twitch he does, that laugh... When you get when you learn why that laugh is the way it is and and how frequently it comes up in the movie, that laugh in is in and of itself is a character treat. Yeah, and it's different than any other Joker laughs that you've ever heard before, because it's it's not just something he he does voluntarily; it's involuntary, and man, it's it's creepy at times and unsettling. This whole movie is really unsettling. It is, and it's, it's irksome. Like it just kind of like. It kind of grabs you right from the beginning and just like never lets you go for the two-hour runtime. And Joaquin Phoenix, yeah, apparently he lost a lot of uh, weight for this role because there's often times where he's not wearing a shirt or yeah. he's not wearing a lot of clothes and he looks like a skeleton. Yeah, he's not quite Christian Bale in no. the Machinist, but he's pretty close. He's, he's getting he's, there. He's unhealthy there's, looking. Yeah, I, unhealthy. there's a particular scene I want to talk about when we start talking spoilers, but. Right. But it, it, it's kind of a funny correlation I, I made in the movie. But um, yeah, I mean, I agree, man. I mean, Phoenix, I've always loved Phoenix. He's always been kind of maybe my top five uh, current actors. Um, he never, I mean, he's he's always good. Um, but in this film, he definitely takes it up a level. And, um, uh, you know, it's it's not, it's interesting to see him play in a, in a mainstream film because he'd never, he's never really dipped his toe in mainstream, really. What's shocking about that you saying that, not even shocking, but what's interesting is that we say it's a mainstream film, but this movie's production budget, I think, was only $55 million, which is well below what a mainstream film, I guess, budgetarily is considered to be mainstream. Typically, yeah. yeah. But but, but, it's more of a a mid-level Well, well, at least in this genre, because, I mean, there's there's mainstream movies like, you know, like the, um, you know, uh, whatchamacallit, um, the horror movies company oh the, Bl- the blumhouse is all two million dollar movies but they are yeah, you know, yeah. they're mainstream as it gets nowadays so <laughs> yeah when it comes to horror yeah, i guess yeah uh, but when it comes it's 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 an indie art house film within the comic book hero subgenre yeah. and that's something we've never quite seen before i mean i think logan I mean, gets close logan gets close but the, the, the difference between logan and joker for me is there's that that second act drop in Logan, sure. Where I mean, there's certain plot thing well, that because happens he's, where the plot kind of stops, well, and I'm because like, his character is, is, is really necessary. His character is 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 all is is you know more fantasy, of course. 
So yeah. it's harder to feel more it make it feel more like it's real and and art, artsy. Yeah. But uh, there's no height. There's no height in fantasy in Joker. No, no. Like like Gotham looks like New York City circa 1980. And, and I will say, like, yeah, if there was a, I, I, this might be my favorite representation of Gotham um, that I've I'll, seen. I'll be honest, it's 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 pretty it's pretty accurate to kind of as like the dirtiness of Gotham. It just fe- it just felt more real. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just it's because we were such we were in the yeah. the the point of view was so from the people. More than it yeah, was, it was from an outside a, perspective. Yeah, there's no, um, like I said, there's no heightened reality. For example, in Tim Burton's Batman's Batman films, like Gotham looks like a fictional place. Yeah, yeah. Like it does. It looks like a metropolis, but they've got like you know old time cars and all that kind of stuff. It, it's Even like Batman, a steampunky. Like it's thing. like in the future, but it's also in the past. Yeah, and um, Nolan's Gotham, which was you know I think he used Chicago for the first two films, and then Pittsburgh for. Dark Knight Rises looks like a modern like city. Yeah. Whereas this version of Gotham looks like um look it looks like one it looks like an old time version it, of Gotham. It, well, it look, but you get that street level It feel yeah I mean it's de- I mean the movie's set in the 80s. Crime to movie's it. set in 81 yeah, I think. Yeah, I think 81, yeah. yeah. And and there's like and you get certain hints about like what's going on within Gotham where like there's definitely you know, like I said classism that's happening um, and you get the feeling that like there are there are there are there's a few at the top, and then the everybody else is just like yeah. wallowing in the bottom. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, I guess, and it's really interesting how that plays out as a theme in the movie. Yeah, and I, I guess you know, I guess if you want to, we can start talking spoilers a yeah, little bit. Yeah, start talking spoilers. So yeah. okay, from this point on, we're you know we're gonna start talking spoilers. So if you have not seen the Joker, please leave and come back maybe in about ten minutes, maybe. So, but here, spoilers, here we go. So, yes, um, the classism stuff. Um, one, of the, 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 one of the things I really loved about the perspective um, is that it makes Thomas Wayne out to be kind of smirmy, smarmy. Oh, yeah, he's a, he's a jackass. He's kind of a, he's <laughs> kind of a, he's a douche. But the thing he's is, it, seem, it only seems that way from the point of view that we're seeing. True. You know, and, and I think that's what's interesting because, you know, I mean, obviously this isn't in some kind of straight adaptation of anything. They're doing their own thing here. But the thing that what we know about Thomas Wayne is from what we, you know, other the, the source material is, I mean, we, we assume he's he's a good dude at heart. But 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 from but that any anybody that's we know that's good, somebody could think that they're bad from a certain point of view. Right. And, right. and for, of course, the people that are poor or you know, middle class that look up at somebody like him are going to think he's bad already. Um, oh yeah. You Cause know. you know, there's jealousy. They think he, you know, stuff. he thinks um, that he's better than him, us. And yeah, you know. from, from what we know from very many incarnations of the Batman story origin stories that Martha and Thomas Wayne were uh, philanthropists yeah. where they gave a lot back to the city of Gotham, which we do get a, a lot here in the movie in Joker. They hint at that, as well, but there, but there's definitely a hint of the, like, classism. There's one particular scene where the people are protesting, and Arthur and Arthur um, goes into this movie theater, and all they're all there watching Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, and it's just like it's just like you know 
bunch of just like the rich aristocratic like people of Gotham sitting in there, and the people outside are just like the ones like just protesting and protesting. Well, what and I thought you just you just see that different like yeah. they're watching classic art house cinema, and people outside are like you know not well you know, you know so there's just there's that distance there. Well, the, what was interesting to me about that scene and i maybe i'm wrong about this I, I thought i read this somewhere but that what's funny about that is that charlie chaplin i think at some point had said something that he made he he made movies for people like him people that the, the non-rich people you know from when he right. was poor so he, yes. he liked to make movies for them kind of people and that's what's funny about the scene is that the rich are watching his movies now like that is very fast. It's an interesting correlation. Like, yeah, the the you know we talked about Charlie Chaplin in great great lengths before, but I mean his character of the tramp yeah. is literally a homeless person. Yeah, yeah, who's just trying to like live and survive with a with an optimistic outlook on life. That's pretty much what his character of the tramp is. And these people are watching it with their suits on and their yeah. you know gold watches or like, whatever like, like the poor pe- beautiful art house theater like the poor whatnot. people are like the jesters you know they're just laughing at the poor people you know yeah to a certain extent and that's that's the scene that also where um uh, arthur fleck confronts thomas wayne uh in the restroom of all uncomfortable places and i guess this leads to the big twist of the movie that's different you know we can talk about that yeah there were um I, I'm, yeah i think this is what you're going to talk about perhaps we're on the same wavelength is that there was um rumor even before this movie ever was was in production well during production is that that the joke that arthur fleck would be like the bastard son of thomas wayne yeah. and they play on that in this movie the thing is that's not the case yeah what we learn is that uh, is that arthur fleck's mother used to work for thomas wayne and pretty much had an infatuation with him yeah. and she also adopted arthur um while she was working with for the Waynes, and so she, so in her mind, she also has a a psychosis as well, yeah, yeah. and it kind of shows that mental illness is somewhat hereditary, in a lot of cases, and it's definitely in this case. And she, well, it's not hereditary. He's she, adopted. It, what's crazy? You're right. It's not hereditary, but for the for parts of the movie, we thought it was hereditary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but in re, in real life. It can be hereditary. You sure. know what I mean? It's it's very weird because this movie is, uh, is very twisty, like you're saying. Well, it, and, it shows you that, that, that you know, yeah. sometimes when you're raised a certain way, it can it can obviously have an effect on you. So, you yeah. know what? That makes, that makes more sense than what I was going to say. <laughs> um, it makes a lot more sense where it's kind of, um, you know, but, but we'll get to that. But right now, but let me go back to what I was saying because I have something to say on, on top of that where um, – she she believed that Arthur Fleck was the bastard son of you know Thomas sure. Wayne, and that turns out to not be true. He finds that out in the movie, like that's like a revelation to him, and he's very upset about it, and he feels betrayed. Um, and but what we learn is that the mother does have a history of psychosis, and she, and what we also learn is that he was traumatized heavily heavily as a child yeah and that is what has led to a even lot before of his... even before he met he was with the mother yeah he was he, he was, was yeah he was abused physically and of course emotionally mentally um and we learn about that in the movie and it it shows it, it, it there's a lot of things you can read into that what it's trying to say and what i can uh, what i've got out of it is that like the traumas of our past can 
affect our present. Uh, we see that happen a lot in not only the fictionalized world of movies, but we see that happen a lot in life, where we, where you know, our behaviors are our present behaviors are dictated because of things that we were exposed to in the past. A lot of people become self-aware of the negative things that they were exposed to in the past, and they they are aware of them so they can overcome them or they can change their lives and move past them, but a lot of people get stuck in that. And I'm saying that specifically when it comes to a lot more behavioral things like, um, for example, uh, you know, racism and things like that are things that are taught to children at a very young age, and they grew up thinking that that's normal, yeah. when in fact it's not normal. You know what I mean? That's a learned thing that you can unlearn if you're aware of how negative it is. But when it comes to the trauma in Arthur Fleck's life, he's not even aware of it. He's looking over like old newspaper clippings and he doesn't remember any of it because it's probably so far like suppressed in his psyche that while it's still having an effect on him, he's not even aware of yeah. it. So this movie is moving well, in well, a lot also, of different levels well here. also you know it's hard to even trust what he sees because we also know that oh yeah he has a lot another of big he twist. has a lot of fantasies <laughs> oh yeah another twist he has rupert pupkin-esque delusions yeah. that we as audience members aren't aware of until he becomes aware of them yeah it's a, it's like a mystery wrapped in an enigma in this movie, and and that leads me to one of the negative things I had while watching the movie. I'm watching it and I'm like, man, uh, Zazie Beetz's character, she's like reduced down to absolutely nothing. <laughs> like she's she's um she's just a plot. She's like a bare bones plot device. Yeah. Like what is going on? There's no there's no uh, you know building blocks to their relationship. There's no nothing. Turns out. You know, we're in spoiler territory here. He's um, he's imagining their relationship yeah, as being yeah. something when it, in fact, doesn't exist. She doesn't even know who he is, other than like I think she knows that he's her neighbor. That she, yeah, they, they they've come across each other in the elevator. In like the yeah. elevator, that's it. But we're led to believe that they have like this relationship, and I was wondering why like there was no writing for this yeah. relationship at all. And lo and behold. There's the reason. Granted, I still would have liked more Zazie Beats in the movie. Sure. She's not used a lot. Uh, like I said, the film focuses pretty much entirely on Arthur Fleck as the Joker. Robert De Niro is also in the movie very briefly. He plays um, a, a talk show host that we cut, we saw in the trailer. And, man, the, the talk show scene at the end of this movie is unnervingly crazy mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean like because you know something i mean i knew it was coming that. i knew it was yeah. coming but i was like i still can't wait i it it was it was unnerving but yet kind of satisfying to see right. to it i guess in a sadistic way but i just knew it was coming and uh yes. and it was a very the way it plays out is 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 crazy yeah crazy yeah. and then the the final end would just like just chaos in the streets of gotham yeah. like there always is and he just Dancing on top of a car because he's their hero. He what's mind-boggling about this movie is that in, in kind of like the Joker has always been showy. He's always been, you know, gl a glory hound or whatever. In this movie, Arthur Flex not really like that. Even when like he starts, be he does he starts becoming popular. Even though people don't even know it's him, it, there's the way the movie sets up that whole I like people are just looking for an icon to latch onto, yeah. looking for something to latch onto. Even if it's somebody who commits like horrific acts like murder, they still see them as a hero because of the people 
that they kill they don't like. It's so interest. It's so interesting when it's coming from a social perspective of like who are our heroes? Who do we look up to? Yeah. Who do we gravitate towards? Even though they're not good people. Also, one of my favorite parts of the of the movie um, is one that it's a scene that's been released online. It's the one where he's he's dancing. Um, dancing in the in the public bathroom. And this happens at a pivotal point in the movie where this is the moment of no return. This is the moment where I think He's the put, psychological yeah. break happens. Yeah. Where it's just the floodgates have opened and he's now becoming something more than what he was before. And the scene and the music is just mesmerizing. And I the way Todd Phillips shot it was perfect. The music and the music throughout this movie is perfect. Yeah. Absolutely perfect. And I cannot pronounce the name of the <laughs> of the composer to save my life, but I'm going to try it here because I think this person needs to be um, uh, recognized. Uh, let's see. Oh, boy. I can't oh wait boy. to hear. Uh, okay. It is, a, it is a woman. Her name is Hildur Guanatote. Wow. Something like that. Guanatote. That's, that's, that sounds... Uh... Rough. Um. Yeah, it's pretty rough. I got the first <laughs> name down though, because because she, um, her last name has uh, certain markers above above the O's, and I never know how to say those. Um, yeah. Well, that person that she, she 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 did a uh, fantastic job. Yeah, she also did. She also the same composer of, um, Sicario, Day of the Soldado. Um, she she was also. She also worked in the music comp- uh, department for Sicario. She worked in the music department for The Revenant. She worked in the music department for Arrival. So when you're thinking of like the score for this movie, think of those movies because they're very similarly. Just the way the or- the the um the orchestral sound is, the tone is, and the kind of the way it influences the movie and how it meshes so well with the scenes. Uh, think of those movies. Um, it, yeah, it's this amazing, amazing score. But we're forgetting um, we're forgetting almost we're forgetting. The, the MVP somewhat other than Phoenix is is got to be Todd Phillips man. I mean the yeah, direction yeah, man. Not, yeah, yeah, I would say yeah, despite of the, the some of the asinine things he said during <laughs> during the um uh doing the mark not the marketing but doing the press tour. The press tour. I was going to say public tour but that doesn't sound right. <laughs> press tour where he was saying like oh you can't make comedies now in this in this woke society so that's why i had to switch the dramas and all that nonsense and i'm like i think he, I, no, okay, really well, don't let, let me let me look i think he's being isn't that what he said something like he, that. Said, he did pra- say that he did say he paraphrasing you basically said that um I, I think he was being more of a probably sarcastic uh you know maybe, probably. maybe I, didn't, I didn't i didn't watch the interview i, I mean i mean i'm comments. just saying I, the way i read it is he's he he's probably i mean he probably means what he says but the way he said it, I think, was being more uh, less angry and more like f- trying to be funny. Because you know, I you, you, so. you, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, that I, makes sense. You know, I just don't. I, I mean, he's. I don't think he's wrong to an extent. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to try to make funny movies more than it. I mean, comedians are having a hard enough time. You know, trying to. I'll say this: comedies are probably the t- some of the toughest movies to make. Because comedy is such a wide open, well, it's, um, it's so subjective. Thing. Yeah, it's a wide open subjective material. And with where, how sensitive like, people are today, it's almost anything could upset somebody. True. <laughs> and I mean, you can make you you can make comedies without 
Well, being you can, to people. But, but the thing is, is if you're trying to push the boundaries, right. just like with dramas, just like with the Joker, if you're trying to push the boundaries, yeah. which I think comedy is even harder to push the boundaries in, you feel like you're, you're, you know, stuck. Drama, in- yeah, drama is easier because um, people expect a drama to be dramatic. Yeah, they, they, there's a certain, I mean, there, like, yeah, yeah, there's, there's a no certain amount of drama, acceptance. You know what I mean? When it comes to like tough subject matters with a drama, right. yeah. but with right. comedy I mean, you're dramas, expecting lightness, yeah. and when you hit on yeah, something that's so- tough in the comedy, they're like, "What are you throwing this in my?" I'm supposed to be laughing right now, like. Ugh. Yeah, in drama though, like people do get upset with certain materials and things like that. Of course, I mean that that happens, but I think drama has a little more leeway when it comes to things like that. Um, and just for in terms of pushing the envelope, uh, Joker gave no f's at all when nah. it came to pushing the envelope. Yeah. Nah. None at all. Um, I want to say something. I actually, I, I, I haven't seen this since I saw, um, a mother, the film yeah. by uh, what's his name that I can't Aronofsky. remember. Aronofsky. Aronofsky. I was gonna say something else, but no, that's not Aronofsky. I hadn't seen a walkout in a theater since since <laughs> since mother. Uh, but I saw one for the Joker. For Joker, really? Um, yeah, I don't know why. I have no idea why. But for for mother, I understood because mother. I was walking into the theater, you know, towards the the screening room to see to see Mother, and there was a, you know, some young people in front of me, like th- that group of three young people, and I'm like, they're like young. I don't know if they were late teens, early twenties, but I'm like, this is not going to be a movie. I for hope them. they don't think this no, is I a Hunger like, Games I don't prequel. Like, yeah, I don't. Maybe they just saw Jennifer <laughs> Lawrence, so they were like, I want to see this movie. Or something wow. like that, but I didn't think it was going to be a movie for them. I don't like to judge people, but I didn't think it was going to be a movie for them. And of course, they left halfway through the movie. Um, <laughs> but for Joker, uh, a couple walked out right before the third act, right before, right before he was about to go on the the talk show with Robert De Niro. They yeah. left. They left actually the scene where his two like uh, people who were cl- uh, remember his, his the, two the ex two guys his, he worked his two with, people they worked ex- with, yeah. Yeah, ex-employee, not even friends, just people he worked with. Um, they went to visit him at his at his apartment, and because his mother had just you know spoiler alert, passed on, still in the spoiler alert well, realm. I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, well, we'll, we'll we're, see. Sp- we're spoiling the movie. I mean, we're talking. Spoilers <laughs> I guess so. Uh, damn. Yeah, it got. Yeah, the movie does get really dark like that, and he, and he, um, he kills one of them viciously, pretty viciously, where he grabs the guy's head and it just bashing it up against like the door frame or something and the people walked out right as that was happening so i was like oh i guess they couldn't yeah. couldn't handle yeah, it they took and it too even far. that scene even that scene wasn't like that gruesome but there's an aggressivism that joaquin goes to in sure. this movie that is very visceral and very cerebral and and maybe they just couldn't handle it but i hadn't i hadn't seen a walkout in that in, in no, such a long time well no. Poor them. I'm sorry. I hate when people just can't handle it. Well, they already paid the money. <laughs> That's true. I don't know if they asked for. Um, uh, I don't know if they asked for. I, I think there's a certain point where you can't get a refund. <laughs> I'm a, yeah. I'm assuming like get three quarters of the way through. Yeah, the you're not getting a refund in this after case. That. The thing is, like, they missed like the finale, like the best part, like the culmination of this mm-hmm. movie of you know the I iconic. Guess they don't really care. Getting man. his due. Guess they didn't care. Um, but there's a lot of um, people who straight up just don't like the movie, like we've said. Sure. Um, don't like the way it treats the movie. I have a friend who didn't like the first half, but liked the second half when he became, you know, when he was become, well, so, became more Joker-esque. Some... And there are people who are kind of viewing this movie not liking it because of 
they're viewing it as like, oh, the, the Joker would never do this, or they're viewing it as an adaptation of like the Joker character from the comics. And I tend to not do that with these movies because the mediums are just too damn different. Well, I was gonna say, like, you know, you know I mean? like I mean, obviously the one thing about the Joker and one thing about this particular movie giving Joker an origin origin stories was controversial right. with comic book fans because people like the fact that Joker's origins are, you know, unknown basically. Um, well, we've had we've had them in the past. We, we've uh, had Jack, different versions, yeah. Yeah, Jack, the, the traditional one is that he fell in a vat of like chemicals, and that's why his skin his skin is all bleached and all messed yeah. up, and that's why that's part of the reason why he went crazy. We got a little bit of that in 1989's Tim Burton's Batman, yeah. and that's been like the origin for the character in the comics for pretty much ever. Then the one we got that's a lot closer to the movie Joker is the one in the Killing Joke, yeah. where he was kind of a when he was a failed. He was a failed comedian who just had one, like, too many bad days, one or too many bad days, and just too many bad things happened to him, and he finally psychologically broke. That's where we get. That's where we get him in the the Red Hood gang and things like that. But like you were saying, Stephen, people like the fact that he does he didn't have he, an origin, and he, yeah. and that plays on the Heath Ledger Joker from The Dark Knight. Yeah, I, I he think Heath Ledger's Joker has has uh, plays into that more. Yeah, he he gives you these stories about things that happened to him, but you're not really sure if they're true or not. Yeah, you know, because like he says, yeah, he says, he says like when I was, you know, when I was a kid, this happened. When I was an adult, this happened, and you don't know if they're true at all because they're all about like how he got his scars. Or, or you are, like, or they're you know, all true, you know. I, you I mean, there's th- there are so many theories about the origin of of Heath Ledger's Joker. The one that I not gravitate toward, the one that I find the most interesting, is that he's actually a war vet who has PTSD. Because I think he's more of a domestic terrorist than he is like a supervillain yeah. in Dark Knight. Just like just stirring up chaos. He's yeah. literally like, you know, chaos personified. Yeah. Whereas opposed to Joaquin Phoenix's Joker kind of stumbles into becoming the Joker. Which which I was going to say, you know, yeah. the some people have heard complaints about they don't like the fact that we're explaining why Joker is becoming what he is because they like the idea of just somebody that is bad for being bad, which I understand because I do like villains that, and and I've said this about the Joker. I love the Joker because I feel like he's a character that is bad. It's just, as they say in the dark Knight, some, some people just want to watch the world burn, you know? Right. Um, and, and I like that because we're getting into this thing where we're over explaining certain characters like Maleficent or the bad. No, she's not that bad. You know, she has tragedy, and she's, you know, she was good at one point, and now she's. Right. Yeah, I hate that. You know, I like the villains to be villains. Um, I like. I I appreciate giving more nuance to a villain's origin because. I just sure, I people, agree. Just having them be bad just for the sake of being bad seems like lazy writing it, at it this is. point. It is because like that's literally how a lot of these big superhero action movies. Uh, write their villains where they're just villains because they're villains. You know what yeah. I mean? They're, they're just bad because they're bad. There's no real motivation for them. I want to see some motivation for them. I mean, if if that's... Or, or if there is no motivation, do what they did in The Dark Knight, there's no motivation for them. People just want to watch the world. Well, I mean, I, there's a way to do it like they did in Dark Knight where you can hint at it, but not, you know... You don't have to give a complete origin story to everybody. And make no, but they gave, but 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 at least they came right out and said sure. he has no reason for being bad. He is bad, as opposed to just having someone act bad because they're bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? It it gives a little a little more to it. Um, 
But yeah, I know I understand a lot of people, and I understand there are a lot of people who view the comic book hero subgenre of movies, uh, and they try to critique them as you know what the quality of their adaptation is from the comic book source to the screen. Yeah, and I've it. never I've told I've told Stephen this. Uh, forever i've never done that because the mediums are too different and i don't think it's fair to the movie to have to be too beholden to its comic book origins because that kind of just straps down the directors producers actors and all that kind of stuff you don't give them any freedom i don't really honestly want them to adapt something that i could have already read i want to be surprised yeah i mean like if i wanted to read the joker as i know the joker i'll read Batman comics. I'll read Joker yeah. comics. You know what I mean? They're there on my shelf. And, I can and, and, and to be honest with you, you know, when you read something, you know, especially, you know, books more, more likely, but even with comic books, you put a lot of your own ideas into something that you read. Right. You know, so, right. so no matter what you read or you, you know, don't, don't fool yourself. You're, you're putting your own ideas into what you're visualizing and expecting. Um, so right. that's what I people do when to, they make films and they add adapt, yeah. they're putting their vis- visualizations of what they've researched into their, you know, into their movie. Yeah. And I, I mean, prefer, I prefer to critique movies as movies versus movies as adaptations when it comes yeah. to their quality. You know, I think I've said that, like I've just told you, I've said that a bunch of times where, um, it, I think those, those, not that you can't have that conversation, like, you know, like we're kind of having now where you can say, Oh, like, oh, it gets those things right from the comics, but doesn't get these things right. But I think that's a separate conversation than saying, oh, that shot is amazing. That lighting's yeah. amazing. That acting's amazing. The the camera movement's amazing. The music's amazing. Those those are two very different conversations to have. And I think that we just have to keep reiterating that because a lot of people get those two things mashed up together. Yeah. But um, someone who doesn't give a crap about any of this and i guess this will probably close out well, our episode yeah yeah i don't know if there's any more you want to say about the only joker. thing I mean, left on, i wanted to say about far. joker go on because i hinted at it earlier is that there's a particular right. scene that made me think of another movie oh um, yeah 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 um the scene where he's like in his apartment and he's dancing you know one of the scenes where he has his shirt off and you see his like ribs and it's like really gross yeah yeah, yeah. he's very emaciated it makes me word. think of silence of the lambs for some reason where oh. he's dancing and he's like looking in the mirror and he's like looking at himself and he's like, you know, kind of like, just like oh, kind of look, veering at himself. You know, I didn't even think of that until right now because I mean there are even m- moments where he's looking in a mirror applying makeup. Yeah, that yeah. are disturbing. He, man, yeah, it's interesting because like he's kind of like a like, Silence of the Lambs is a good comparison when it comes to the irksome and kind of the dread and the dark tone that this movie has. Yeah. And the Joker, while I don't think the Joker's not, you know, he's not, he's not quite Buffalo Bill, but he's also not, he's also well, the, disturbed similar. Well, the, well, the thing you is, is I mean? the, the thing that later came along with silence of the lambs is the fact that, um, you know, th- that movie, some people kind of give crap, you know, give crap to silence of the lambs because the movies, you know, portraying, especially talking about trans a trans person but the thing oh, is is that yeah, yeah, is yeah. That, that the character is not actually trans he's actually meant just mentally unstable you know he's not okay. you know so that's the thing that's kind of comparable there too is that he's he, it's a mental it's a, another character with mental illness you know like he's correct you know dealing with something it's another character with mental illness um doing violent things yes, yes. but whereas silence of the i was say like silence this is of more the psychosexual like, and jokers is more 
you know, psychological, else. like psychological repression, drama, you know, drama. I mean, like, it, it's tough comparing the two because because the Joker initially doesn't set out to do violence as opposed to Buffalo Bill, who is just abducting people and killing them. You know what I mean? Well, sure. Like I mean, we, if we like, got a Buffalo, like Buffalo Bill, Bill origin is, story, it might be different. Yeah. But I mean, you know. Yeah, but he's like purposely doing things where as opposed to the like like Silence of the Lambs is a movie about um, catching a serial killer. You know what I mean? It's yeah. a movie about catching a serial killer, whereas the Joker is more of a character study oh, sure, yeah. of a person who becomes a serial killer. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's Not definitely even a, a serial killer. He yeah. just kind of falls into it. It's tough to really say. Like, the initial act of the movie uh, of violence that sets him off is something that he's he does in self-defense. Yeah. So it's it, it that's a murkier water. Oh well, yeah. I, somebody I just going would, out I would just compare people. the characters somewhat, you know, in the sense yeah, of their yeah, their yeah. psychological, you know, profiles as being right. two mentally unstable people that are, you know, had very similar different. scenes where they dance and yeah, look at each other yeah, and beer at each other. What's interesting is they're kind of like on the same road, but at like different junctures or something yeah, like yeah. that. Well, 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 I mean, uh, Buffalo Bill is obviously a different type of animal, but I mean, yeah. uh, you know, but um, yeah, I just thought that was an interesting but, thing that popped in my head when I saw that scene. I was like, kind of think that kind of looks like Buffalo Bill, you know? And... Yeah. yeah. Uh, goodbye horses. Um, <laughs> but going back to that great transition that I had before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's discuss someone who doesn't give a crap about any of these movies. Yeah. <laughs> Who, although I think he, if he saw the Joker, he probably would like it because he was almost going to direct and or produce the Joker, and that is one Martin Scorsese, who we talked about just in our last episode because we did it, we did a spotlight on um, King of Comedy, and this movie definitely takes a lot from Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. Yeah, definitely influenced. And, and definitely, oh yeah, definitely takes it takes it from both of them um, because he recently came out. During because he's doing his press tour now for The Irishman, which is coming out very, very soon uh, in both limited theatrical exhibition as well as um, Netflix. And he came out and said that he's not really a big fan of comic book movies. Well, he said he said specifically Marvel movies, specifically Marvel movies. You are right. I mean, I guess I guess that same thing could possibly apply across because you got to think, you know, I guess he, he, he might enjoy The Dark Knight. He might enjoy Joker, like he I might enjoy, but he he specifically said the Marvel movies. I don't watch right. them. Right, I think because I think maybe somebody asked him specifically about Marvel, um, and of course this set the internet aflame, yeah, as yes. most things do, <laughs> and of course Marvel fans just lost their goddamn mind. And <laughs> me, I'm like I'm a Marvel fan too. I like the you know. Stephen and I have discussed these movies. Sure. I've done reviews for these movies. I read the comic books and all kind of stuff. And I just sat back and was like, oh, that's that's interesting. Well, but let's get let, let me let me get because he said two things. He said sure. two things on two separate occasions. Let's get to the first one, which happened um in between our last episode and this episode. I think sometime last week or so. Let me get to the, the juicy quotes. Um why didn't you already have this pulled up? Oh, I have it pulled up, but the problem is, is like <laughs> they go for the new, the new one, the new quote versus the old quote. Um, here we go. When it comes with his, let's see. Da, 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 da. Okay, I don't see. This is his first quote. I don't see them. I don't see them. I tried, you know. That's, but that's not cinema. Honestly, the closest I can think of them as well as well made as they are, with actors doing the best they can under the circumstances is theme parks. 
It isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences by another human being. Um, that's very interesting. That was his first thing. And just taking that, um, he's not entirely wrong, but I can understand why people would be upset if that makes well, sense. Well, I mean, you know, look, look, like somebody like him is choosing. Right. Well, first of all, he's coming from it in a perspective where he's, of course, comes from a. He's come, you know, he's somebody that's, oh. you know, was at, you know, coming through, you know, the film industry in the 70s and the 80s, you know, back when films like the Marvel films were very few far in between. Um, no, no, they basically didn't. They exist. didn't exist yet at this level. <laughs> Let's be but, but but even the big budget movies were few and far between. Your Star Wars is your your you know Indiana Jones things were not like they're not, they're not coming out every week like they are now. Um, yeah, so, yeah um, Martin Scorsese, man, it, it's tough to just kind of quantify what he is as a person when it comes to just his his level of being a cinephile because I th- I just don't think it's measurable. He's like cinema personified in yeah. terms of like a human but, being because he's so old school man. oh yeah he's he like is but the thing is I, so I, I, I don't think he's unreasonable but no but, and he's, i don't think he, what he's saying is like you know f marvel movies you know these mcu movies suck he's just saying i've seen them i don't like them yeah oh, well I mean, them? they're just not for me he doesn't even say i don't like him in this quote initially well, the thing says, is the, the biggest thing i think people are focusing on is that he calls it not cinema not and so, so so now we have to we have yes. to we have to define have to what he's down. saying here. So he's I think obviously when he says cinema is he means um, film that has something to say um, is what I I take it as is he's you know which I guess you could say is pretentious to an extent but he you know he well, come, yeah, he, yeah, okay. he is a filmmaker that tries to make films that have something to say. Um, that, oh yeah, you know, and and yeah, and he looks at them movies yeah. as as he says theme park rides they're just right. for they're just eye candy they're just things to to lose a few hours in watching which is fine but for him that's not what he invests his his he likes to invest his time in uh, what what's fascinating to me is that it, for those of you who don't know like just the extent of Martin Scorsese's background when it comes to movies watch the documentary uh like Martin Scorsese's I think tr- uh trip through American cinema or something like that where he basically goes through like his entire life up until like 1994 of all of the movie genres and all the movies that he loves and and everything he goes from westerns to musicals to all kinds of stuff to sci-fi to everything and he goes into like how they personally affected him and all this kind of stuff and you get a glimpse of like what his palette is yeah. as a cinephile and what his palette is as a cinephile is typically high art cinema in quotes. Yeah. You know what I mean? The stuff that Steven and I buy from the Criterion Collection, he has his hands in when it comes to getting those movies restored for them to be, you know, distributed on Blu-ray and DVD yeah. and put into like... um uh, like art house theaters well, I mean, he's, and second run theaters. He's got his like own that. curated film, you know, sets on the Criterion yeah. Collection. Yeah, his world cinema sets, yeah. where that are like just spotlighting like movies from around the world that nobody, nobody here would ever see. Oh yeah, fil- Czech, fil- Czech films, it. African films, you know, just just a, a variety. He's got two sets out now. Two, I think they each have like 
maybe five or six movies on him, maybe. Yeah, the documentary I was talking about is uh, A Personal Journey with Martin Scorsese Through American Cinema. Yeah. That's what it's called. And it came out in 1995, so I was close when I said 94. <laughs> but, his, but he's, like, set up, like, foundations for film restoration yeah. of old movies, like The Red Shoes and all the... He owns... The red shoes from the red shoes. Yes, he's he's come on, man. You expect this guy to like be down with like Marvel MCU movies and these big movies? He's not that type of person, and that's I, I just like, th- not I, like like that's like not what I like. I like he said something like that, and I'm like, you know what? That's that makes sense that he would say something. It, it like makes that. sense, and I don't fault him for it. I don't fault him and for I don't. It. I I actually admire that he's. Um, he 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 is who he is, and 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 he he could have been a lot meaner. Just put it that way. Yes. Oh yeah, he could have. I mean, there are people. Go, yeah, there are definitely. I'm sure. In, I'm sure meaner. in person and in personal conversations, he get he dig, he digs a lot harder. But he knows he has a movie to sell. He has to sell right now. So he, he you know, I mean, he's probably already hurting himself a little bit. <clears throat> but um, the thing is, is the audience that's going to watch a three and a half hour gangster movie might not be Marvel people. So no, and and this leads us to him doubling down on what he said because yeah. this kind of leads into like I think in terms of and to to this point where he doesn't he's not even particularly attacking MCU movies or Marvel movies or these big tentpole IP movies he's kind of attacking I think the the cinema system in and of itself yeah because he's attacking what they're what they're exhibiting what, yeah. Because, like, we all know why these movies are in the theaters and because people go see them and they make shit tons of money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no one's going to, you know, going to the theater to see a three-hour art he's house putting, indie he's film putting that's going to make more than 100 He's putting some responsibility I mean? on the theaters themselves. Right. So let's get to his second quote, which he just said uh, recently. I think, was it over the weekend? Let me see when this article is. I'm looking on IndieWire. This was from... October 13th, so this was uh, Saturday? Yeah, this was an article that was published on Saturday. It says, During a press conference uh, this weekend at the BFI London Film Festival, the Academy Award-winning director said theaters have become amusement parks. That is all fine and good, but don't invade everything else in that sense. That is fine and good for those who enjoy that type of film. And by the way, knowing what goes into them now, I admire what they do. It's not my kind of thing. It simply is not. It's creating another kind of audience that thinks cinema is that. Very interesting. Yeah. A different perspective where he's no longer, no longer saying, he's no longer kind of like saying those movies are the theme park rides, but that the, the cinema is becoming the theme park in which these rides are held in, essentially. And he's also saying something I think is a lot more different, a lot more important where I think he's really concerned with uh, upcoming generations of moviegoers and film people yeah. that are going to think that these movies are the best ever. You know what I mean? Like, they are the peak of cinema, in yeah. quotes. You know what I mean? Like, these, this is what movies well, are made for. Like a lot you know of older I mean? generations, they're afraid of being forgotten. Um, right. And, and, and to an extent that, but he's also still striving to being like, you know what? These movies are, you know, I understand why they are so popular. I understand why they are fun for audiences. But there are other movies out there that 
expo that express cinema in a completely different way that is just as good or if not better you of know course. what i mean he, and that's he, something he, i think you've said a lot Stephen. when you've become a little disenchanted with oh i have i mean i i've gotten the, to a point where where over. my investment in in these type of movies has has waned i mean i don't get i don't get enough out of them anymore to get excited for them anymore i do i do i typically do end up watching them um, because you know i'm invested in them in a sense of just being curious um, of what's happening in some of the stories and some of the characters. But for the most part, I invest a lot of my actual mind in, in films I feel actually are either teaching me something, showing me something about another culture, or or are, you know, in helping me learn more about maybe a certain filmmaker that I admire, you know. Uh, and I I just feel like, with, especially with my investment in, in physical media, you know, I look at it like, like a library, something I can learn from, something I can pass on. And, and you know, I think, you know, this goes along with, with how Spielberg's been kind of fighting against Netflix, you know, fighting, trying to, they're trying to keep alive something they find that's precious. And right. they feel like, they don't feel like, they feel like technology and, and the film industry is moving in such a, radically moving in such a, a different direction so fast that they feel like they're being left behind. Um, because they, they, you know, as Scorsese's kind of saying, you know, we're, we are reprogramming people's, how they watch movies, like what they're watching and what they find to be important in, when it comes to like why they watch movies, not, right. they're just watching movies to lose some time or, or just being entertained. They're not watching movies for any other reason anymore. Like, like why aren't we watching movies to be to learn something about another culture or learn, you know, like to learn something about the world, like, or to even kind of learn something about the craft in and of well, itself. that and learn, learn about ourselves about movies through other, right. through the characters in the story, you know, like, it's I mean, like, the way, yeah, the way I've learned about movie making in general has been by watching movies and by watching movies that are crafted in such a way that it's unlike anything you've seen before or anything that was made at the time that in which it came out. There's so much, I mean, I hate, this word may not be a, a popular, there's so much educational value to get out of movies that I, that I don't think it gets credit for because movies are typically only seen, as you say, entertainment or a well, way yeah, I mean, to like waste two hours. Well, I mean, like what whatever, he said, like in his mean? first quote where he was saying, you know, you're, these movies are not, teaching you about human experiences through you know you're you you can't relate to iron man you know he's a billionaire mm. person that can create a suit that can be it can kill you know he is is, is, a, is a nuclear warhead by itself you know right. you can't relate to thor you can't relate to the hulk these are fantasy characters true you know i, I mean, mean they they try though I'll they say try they though, try but there's certain experience there's certain human yeah. experiences that they have that can be relatable but ultimately their reality is so heightened that you can't really relate to them. Right. I mean, and I'll say playing a little devil's advocate here, there are some films within that genre that strive to be more than just entertainment. Sure. More than just, you know, a heightened fantasy entertainment reality or whatever, like you're saying. And what's fascinating to me is those are the movies that people kind of crap on. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Those are the movies that people take the task for not being the other type of movie, the entertaining type of movie, because because that has because that's so 
readily available and it's so consistently available, people think that the superhero comic book genre can only be those types of entertaining, bright, colorful, funny, uplifting movies that when someone tries to do something else within that genre, sometimes people don't like it. And they don't like it because it doesn't resemble what they already know and love. That's why something like The Joker, I think, is so groundbreakingly interesting because it does something within the genre that nothing really quite has even though other films like Nolan and Logan and even Watchmen and even Zack Snyder's Man of Steel and Batman v Superman try to be more than just entertainment, try to be more than what people typically view it as, it didn't get, you know, anywhere near the positive reaction. It got crapped on quite a bit. But I think there needs to be a broadening of the mind well, of what these movies can be. It's the, and because yeah. they, you can take elements from... The the sin the quote unquote cinema movies that Scorsese is talking about and infuse them within the comic book superhero genre, but that's a big risk because oh, it is. because right now they're playing with hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars in money making uh, grosses and box office stuff. So they don't really want to take those risks because they don't want to screw up what what's making so much money. Well, that, that's, you know the thing, I mean? that's the thing. That's the thing is, is, is with with. With how successful Marvel has been, though, though they they definitely take chances with certain inter- like weird characters and things like that. Right. They ultimately play it pretty safe in the sense of yeah, they are pretty safe. They're pretty safe in the sense of the type of themes and the and basically the aesthetic of the movies all look the same. Oh, they they all they're all starting to look exactly the same, yeah. which is kind of annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Not even annoying. Yeah. It's, it's really getting to me recently and not that their aesthetics are bad they just don't well, they just well, all look the same they're not interesting well, funny enough funny enough somebody else said something about these movies jennifer aniston oh, jennifer aniston did and what oh. she literally said what, what we're kind of heading to is that they're all green screen movies like she did <coughs> say that and she's not entirely wrong when it comes to the production of these movies they're basically all made on green screen for the most part I mean, obviously there are sets and things like that, but there's a lot of green screen in them. And because, you know, that's a cost thing. Also, I mean, some of these movies are dealing with, like we said, like fantasy elements. You know, that can't CGI be, can't be elements shot just necessarily, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's I mean, just... if you're going to, yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're going to make one of these movies set in space, you know, it's got to be on a green screen. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Of course. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I'm... I, I'm with Scorsese, and but I'm also I'm not against the superhero genre necessarily. I just I I, I think I'm with. I guess I I could say I'm with him more on his side than anything in the sense of that I'm I'm kind of weary of of the direction of film right now. Like it's just it's and and it's, it's like I said I just think I, I think I eventually Hollywood's going to implode on itself. But it, it's you know yeah you you said that once or twice before on, yes. on this podcast. Um, I yeah, I'm I'm always with Scorsese. I'm always with him. <laughs> I'm always with I my mean, guy. With I know. I'm with him. I'm with him to the end. Scorsese. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> me and him, we're best friends. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm with him forever. But um, just because I know, like, like I said, his background's completely different than what our background is in movies and movie history and whatnot. And people out there who are saying things like, uh, like Mark Scorsese doesn't know cinema. I'm like, come on, <laughs> come on. You people are crazy. <laughs> it's like, I, you guys gotta understand who he is as a person. And to say he doesn't understand cinema is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, yeah. he's kind of he's built a lot of the building blocks of cinema over the last. 
40, sure. 50 years or so. Um, so those, those are kind of the two big, big topics that we talked about. They kind of mesh into one another. Another one I wanted to bring up, and it kind of goes, um, yeah, this will be the last thing we say before we wrap this up, um, is another filmmaker who is struggling right now to get uh, any type of view, not like viewership. I would say, yeah, his film pretty much just bombed at the box office. And someone who I put even in the same category as a Martin Scorsese in terms of just uh, his 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 importance to cinema as well as kind of somebody who is a high-quality filmmaker, and that is Ang Lee. Yeah. Ang Lee's film Gemini Man, which just exhibited in the cinema, in quotes, um, he's trying to push cinema in 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 another direction, and he can't do it. He he is trying to make three D still a thing, and three D <laughs> cannot like become a thing because it's kind of dead now again. Like it comes yeah. and goes in waves. Every couple of decades, it comes and goes. And his new film Gemini Man was shot in three D, high frame rate of not forty eight frames per second, not sixty frames per second, one hundred and twenty frames per second. Is it twenty? I, that's what I heard. Um, and, but the thing is with that, if that sounds bonkers to you, Stephen, it's bonkers because hardly any place in the country ha- is equipped with the uh, equipment to exhibit. Yeah, they're not going to be able so to show it in that high frame rate. He, yeah. Yeah, he made a movie that literally no one anywhere could possibly yeah. see in the way it's supposed the, the, to be seen. The highest frame rate I've heard that could be projected in most theaters is maybe 48 frames, maybe. I'm seeing, like, some places are, are showing it in 60. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Some places have high frame rate. I remember we talked about The Hobbit had a high frame rate, yeah. uh, 48 frames per second. We all thought that was bananas God. a few years ago. Uh, now he's going 120. But the thing is, when it comes to, uh, you know, the Ang Lee and how it's connecting to the Scorsese story is Ang Lee typically makes you know, quote-unquote cinema, and his stuff can't get ex- can't get an audience now. And, he could, and he's trying to do bigger and more interesting things within certain genres and within things like that, and he can't get a foothold now. So, like, it's... It, you're seeing... Uh, there's a t- We're in an interesting time in cinema where something is all the craze, and it's seemingly taking over, becoming the standard-like like Scorsese is kind of fearing of. Yeah. And and when someone like Ang Lee is coming along trying to change that or trying to do something more interesting with the the aesthetic of a movie or with just the theatrical experience and it's just not working for him, you know, we're kind of like, where do we go when it comes now to exhibition? We've talked about exhibition several times before. That's all part of the cinematic experience. That's all part of the theme park ride. And what is interesting is that... Um, Ang Lee's trying to make it even more of a theme park ride with like the 3D and all this kind of gimmicky type stuff, and people just don't want to see it. Well, and, the thing is, is, is or people or like they, people can't see it for lack for lack of a better term. Well, the thing is, is I think when it comes to movies, it's going to always come back to character and story. Um, right. If you're not going to hook people in with your character and story, it's not nobody's going to see it anyway. Um, <laughs> But for the most part, you're for, right. for the most part, but I mean, for the most part, you're right. There are certain movies that become big hits that aren't exactly deep characters. Sure. Of course. Any of the there, there are definitely movies. exceptions and, and things that blow my mind that made a lot of money that shouldn't have. Um, I mean, I, I enjoy the Fast and Furious movies. 
can't understand point, why they make this there's a billion no dollars. real character stuff and they, they they try like that last movie well that ma- them movies ma- hit a particular audience and, and and they they go and see it they return to see them just like uh Tala perry Tala perry's got a particular audience true. that continues to see his movies he actually just opened uh his own movie studio yeah, yeah. In, in georgia Los- in yeah. a, it, yes he yes he did uh and he's one of uh, I mean, he's not the first African American man to uh, open up a studio, but he's certainly uh, one of the only few now. <laughs> well, that, to, that, to that open up a, a big studio uh, in this time period, where you know streaming services and things are, you know, I mean, I'm sure he's going to have some kind of streaming thing eventually. I don't know. I I don't know. I, I'm I'm actually surprised he hasn't. I don't. I would have to do research on this, where he doesn't have a contract with someone to uh, produce movies like kind of like similarly to how um you see all like jj abrams just the yeah, sign that big warner deal brothers, yeah yeah warner brothers um like um you know russo signing with somebody or yeah the the other people signing i don't with think somebody, he's locked whatever. to anybody yeah I, i'm surprised he's not locked with anyone like that any streaming service because we are in the middle of the streaming wars and yeah there well, are new, well there are new developments every day there is like like amc is doing a streaming service yeah i you don't see know that? how that's gonna last. That's crazy, but I think I think we need to stop before we we go any further. Yeah, before we go on a, a streaming war. Yeah, we uh, we would want to go back down that. But we had an topic. episode way back near the beginning of our show. Oh, about we're streaming. gonna have to have one soon. I think once Disney drops and then HBO Max drops next year, we're gonna have to we gotta, update. We gotta, it. we gotta have like a we gotta have an updated like streaming wars episode. Yeah, like where where are we crazy. at in the war? <laughs> It's like where we are in the world. Like every other like day, somebody's signing some exclusive deal with some Jeez, streaming service God. to to show something. Yeah. Like like right now, TV shows are all the thing where everybody's just scooping them up. Like The Office is going here, Friends are going there, yeah. Seinfeld's going there, uh, Big Bang Theory is going there. It's like everybody's paying a exorbitant amount of money for te- for not even movies. Television and we're getting to the point where I'm starting to think cable's about to just be like sucked into just a black hole. Out. It's going to be sucked. Yeah, out. it's going to be gone. I mean, what's it, I mean, by the time you sign up, we said this before. By the time you sign up for all these streaming services, you're back to paying cable prices. Yeah. So it, so like cable's going to go away, but you're still going to be paying the money you you were, you were yeah, paying for it's, cable. It's, yeah, it's funny, but that's a different topic for a different time. Yeah. Well, that's it for this episode of the Cinema Discovery Project. Thank you for listening. Um, hey, Andrew, where can you be found? You can find me on Twitter at Cabzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Cabzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings. Um, you can find me You can find me on Instagram. I post all the goodies. I think Andrew does, too, on his Instagram. He posts a lot of I do. the stuff that he buys. And you stick, you know, comment and see. let us know if you've seen the movies we bought. You know, I'm always buying something. I, that's all I spend my money on. And, uh... You can also find me, find the audio for this podcast on Podbean or on Apple Podcasts. And that will be it for this episode. We will probably see you in a couple more weeks with uh, our, our horror-themed episode. It'll be right before Halloween. Oh, yes, it will. So we'll, we'll, we'll come up with some. I'm not sure exactly. I don't think we're going to do a spotlight necessarily. But I think we're going to maybe just talk horror in general maybe. But I don't know. We'll, we'll, yeah, maybe we'll look at a franchise Maybe we'll look at a franchise. Yeah, that might be fun. Maybe you know, spotlight a franchise instead. But um, that'll be it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and hey, keep on watching the movies. I know I will. <laughs>